0: I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Laura Osborne, Laura, or Auntie Laura to me, is my aunt. For as long as I can remember, she has been an active reader. She has given me so many great reading recommendations over the years and has been very active in the book club in the past, so I knew I wanted to ask her to be on the show. So welcome to the show, Auntie Laura.
1: Thank you, Kara, for having me. Uh, This is a really great experience for me, and I'm so happy to do this for you. Yay!
0: I'm so glad to have you. Well, why don't we start how we usually do on the show here with telling me a little bit about your reading life?
1: Well, I started probably reading after college, you know, just in the summers because I am an educator and I did have the summers off. So during the summer months, I was able to pick up books, you know, to read and whatever else, Um, you know, just light Romantic stuff or something that kind of caught my fancy. Then as I retired, after I left education, uh, a what I would call a lot of teachers that I were familiar with, we decided to do a book club. And with the book club, um, we had probably about eight people. And once a month or once every six weeks, we would read a different book given to us and we'd go out you know and research what books we really wanted to read so Mm -hmm. every six weeks we read something which was different you know each person in the group had a different kind of genre or whatever else so that really started me reading a lot of books I mean that went on probably almost until the pandemic and then after the pandemic came we kind of disbanded because we being you know social distanced and whatever else we could not meet as a group anymore which was and you know zoom gets tiresome after a while you know I think people were not really you know at the beginning it was great but at the end you know it it just got old so we kind of disbanded which was kind of a bad thing to do but in a in a way it kind of gave me my interest to continue reading on my own you know so I've tried to do that as I've gotten you know away from the book club.
0: Yeah. What a great way to be introduced to the different genres. I feel like that's a big impetus of why I've started this show is just to be introduced to different genres and different books. And what a great way with each of you contributing to what the reading, your readings might be for your book club to do that.
1: Yes, because we were a very, we're a very, varied group of individuals, you know, different Um, educators in different disciplines you know and reading um, some of the gals you know wanted to read mysteries some wanted to read historical so it really gave us quite a variety of different reads which was great you know because it expands your uh, library of thought of what you know you should be reading or would maybe never read if somebody else didn't suggest it so it was really a it was a great experience to say the least.
0: Yeah, what a great way to expand our horizons, expand our reading choices, (laughs) Um, and I think that's great. That is one of my goals for 2023, for sure. Yes. So what genres do you prefer to read?
1: Well, I think I'm probably more historical uh, fiction, you know, where it actually deals with events that have maybe occurred, such as the Holocaust. Uh, there's also, um, I've read a lot about Western, um, history, you know, because, uh, we're now, you know, going between two homes, you know, we're out in Arizona as well as here in Illinois. So it really has made, um, it's opened up my thought about different parts of the country, you know, Mm and, and, different events that have occurred within our country, historically, and whatever else. However, I do like to read sometimes what they call the romantic, (laughs) which is really, you know, you see those books, you know, and you kind of go, who reads those? Well, guess what? I have read several of those, too, so I would say my, I'm very varied about things that I'm interested in. You know, I try not to put myself into a corner. I, you know, I try to expand my brain enough to know that, you know, there are other genres that I can read and whatever else. I just won't read any more college books.
0: I'm done reading. True. Yeah, the dry material, no more. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely.
0: Do you find that you're maybe a bit of a mood reader where you kind of pick things up based off how you're feeling or... Because you're such a varied reader, like how do you choose what you're going to pick up next?
1: Well, I guess it has to do with, um, I do read a lot in the newspapers about the book section, you know, that does come up, you know, what Mm -hmm. books are now people are reading or, and uh, what the New York Times, you know, says as their bestsellers, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's basically more, along those lines that I do. I don't think I'm really a mood reader. I think I'm just, I, I educate myself to look at what is really current at the time mm-hmm. or what authors are really coming up and then I pick and choose from there. Um, you know, when it was hot to read the Twilight series, I read those. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it just seemed like it, it. that's how I usually pick things. It's not my mood at all. I think it's just more just being educated on what other people are reading and what might be the hot topic for the for the duration of whatever so
0: yeah i'm very similar where i i don't know that i read the charts per se because i like to see that things persist in the hype that is behind them Mm -hmm. and if it persists to like year two of the book's release then i'm like okay it's time to pick this up now (laughs) like it's it stood the test of time a little bit and and the hoop you know the hoopla Mm -hmm. that i received so because sometimes I feel like I've read the bestsellers and I, it just didn't fit for me. But I, if it stood the test of time a little bit and maintained its hype, then I'm like, okay, yep, time to pick it up.
1: Well, it's true, you know, because I actually, the same way, you know, if it doesn't really pique my interest, I won't read it. You know, it's it's got to really have some kind of catch to it. Mm-hmm. But I can say that I've gone back and read like Jane Austen, which is hard to believe. You know, most people... You know, they know her more from the movies and things like that that they've seen on TV with Emma and, you know, the series. But Mm -hmm. just reading her book is entirely different, you know, with, you know, Hollywood sanitizes things sometimes or makes it fit however they think it should fit on the small screen. But reading in more in depth, it's really important, you know, to see her, how she put together story and what she was actually writing about for that time so
0: that's actually an episode that I'm I'm really I'm like I need to book someone that does is going to come talk to me about the classics I, I've been a part of a book club and they actually do try to read more of the classics and going back being outside of high school you know being outside of the school realm and reading it for leisure I've actually found more than I remember that they are very readable like the language is not as hard as I was remembering from back Mm -hmm. in my school days but maybe just because I'm you know further along in my reading journey that it doesn't seem so daunting to pick that up Um, but I have found how much I've really loved them and and again that they're they're easier to read than I was imagining right
1: and I think that's true with a lot of um readers you know you can't be afraid of Looking at, you know, there's different ways that authors, you know, compose themselves and, you know, the language is one of them, you know, but there's also, you know, sometimes their prose are done in short stories instead of, you know, you have to kind of follow along, you know, put the pieces together. And I think as a reader, you know, you got to keep your mind open to those kinds of styles, you know, that you might be interested one of these days, you know, exploring that. So it's
0: important. And there's a reason they have stood the test of time, back to standing the test of time. There's a reason why those books are still circulating.
1: (laughs) Oh, definitely, for sure. And I think that really says a lot about, you know, literature as a whole. You know, it's very important, I think, that we go back as even as a society and a civilization and read some of those classics, you know, from way back when to understand ourselves and our society as it's evolved
0: over the last centuries or so so it's that's important. a great point yes that's a wonderful point so with your re- retirement life i'm imagining in my mind's eye that you have all of this time to read but i know life still goes on so you <laughs> still have things on your to-do list and and things that you have to accomplish so how and when do you find time to read in your day
1: Usually, the best time for me is to read is at nighttime. Um, you know, when I have, oh, probably after supper time, you know, then if I you know decide to read right before I go to bed, um, it usually relaxes me in a way mm-hmm. that is different. Um, usually in the morning and you know, that kind of time frame and during the day. I am busy, you know, even though I'm retired, you know, there are things that I'm doing, you know, as a whole daily tasks or, you know, playing golf or doing whatever, you know, my recreational things are. So at nighttime is usually the best time for me. Usually after dinner is when I can probably grab enough time to read maybe for an hour, an hour and a half, you know, before I go to bed. And then I'm usually, that's about all I can. Sometimes I've in the past, sometimes when I've have a full day where I have nothing on my calendar, in other words, that does happen to retire people <laughs> a lot more than, than usual, um, I usually can spend, you know, if I'm really into the book, then I can really spend, you know, start reading in the morning, you know, break for lunch and then read some t- time in the afternoon, and then I'm, you know, good. So I can spend an old day if I really want to, too. So I have that luxury you know as being a retired teacher so that makes a big difference
0: that is great i feel like i remember staying up really late at night because i'm like oh i want to finish this book you know once you get pulled into a book but if i'm being honest since having kids i i don't have the energy i'm usually falling asleep within two pages <laughs> these yeah. days so i'm like i don't get those big chunks of time to read unless i wake up much earlier than my children which is my mo to do <laughs> yes so yeah
1: well, I think each reader has to find their own niche of time. I really do to carve out, you know, where you're going to do um, your reading and you have some quiet time, you know, because it's too hard for me. Actually, you know, it's really too hard for me to get distracted when there's too many things going on or my I'm not clear in my head, you know, mm-hmm. to spend the time. Then, Then I have some trouble with it. But you know, I think every reader has to find that little niche, you know, where their time is.
0: And that's why it'd be such a good for you being at the end of the day, because then your tasks are accomplished. You're like, I can really just devote my time and my attention to this read, you know, the book that I'm reading, Mm -hmm. because I'm not worried about the tasks at hand or getting the day started and all of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. It For me, it makes a huge amount of difference, you know, because like you say, Usually I'm a very early morning rise person, but I like to get moving with my tasks, you know, whether it be grocery shopping or doing shopping or getting that kind of out of the way or planning meals or doing whatever. I like to do that more in the morning, in the afternoon, not so much, you know, I know that I need that downtime, you know, after dinner. So I don't want to plan for anything in the next day. It's kind of like, nope, (laughs) need to take some time to myself
0: yeah and that's a big part of creating a habit as well for those listening is doing the doing the tasks that you want to accomplish at the same time each day is a way a big way to create a habit in doing that Uh so just a little side note (laughs)
1: yeah i agree with that that's for sure
0: All right. Well, you have prepared a very interesting book flight for us today that I'm very excited to talk about. Um, Would you like to go ahead and tell us about our first book that we're going to be sampling? Um,
1: And that is Olive Kittredge um, by author Elizabeth Strout. Um, This book is really a very interesting way of how she wrote it. First of all, It's done in what I would call a um, short story version. Um, It revolves around a main character, Olive Kittredge, who is a retired school teacher, Mm -hmm. who actually is very, what I would say, she kind of deplores the changes that are going on in her town and in the world at large. She's not what I would call, she's a little bit abrupt at times in her responses to how she interacts with certain characters within um, the book. And that also includes her family. But the good thing about the author is that she's brought her around to a deeper understanding of herself and her life. You know, sometimes when she interacts with people, the other characters, it's painful. And it's also honest to a ruthless point as mm-hmm. to how she's viewing those individuals. But I think um, I read a little bit about the author, um, why she wrote it this way, you know, where Olive was so abrasive at times or, you know, dealing with, you know, why these characters were doing this and not understanding that, you know, what was her actual hope <laughs> with, you mm-hmm. know, the readers. And, I guess it was just to give us a a larger understanding of people are different and we're all human and things happen to us um, that other people sometimes can't understand because they're quick to judge, you know, what, why this person is doing this instead of looking at the situation and trying to figure out exactly why the person is responding this way. And we're also, she was also quick to make excuses for people, you know, as to why they were that way, whether or not that assumption was true or not, she Mm -hmm. still kind of did it within her interactions with, with people. So.
0: And we're all, I feel like we're all wired this way. So I feel like it's a very real life depiction. I remember thinking that as I read this book.
1: Yeah, it's very true to life and i think a lot of us don't realize that we are all wired that way that we're similar and we all fail and succeed at relationships in in any kind of manner you know i mean mm-hmm. it, it does happen to all of us you know there's going to be success stories with people and there's going to be failures with people but i think that's really it was it was just kind of was a way for me to look at myself as to how I overreact or how I come to understand other people. You know, uh, sometimes I forget that people are human and they do have frailties and we have to really look beyond maybe what the situation is as to what they're really feeling. So.
0: And don't you love when books really make you do that introspection?
1: Yes. And I think that probably was, um, you know probably was my favorite thing is just saying that you know no one is perfect in every facet of their lives they're they're not going to be and mm-hmm. i'm not either and either is olive Kittridge when she <laughs> talks when she comes upon these situations um and a lot of us probably looking at her as a character can probably say oh my i did that once to somebody <laughs> along the along my relationships with people you know, as I've gone along, I maybe have reacted the same way. You know, in how did how it makes you look inside yourself and what you what you're actually doing with people. So,
0: and I specifically remember my dad like always telling me, "You never know what is going on in someone else's life. Like, mm-hmm. you you never know." And so, to just treat people accordingly, maybe with kid gloves a little bit, because you just never know.
1: No, you don't. And there's no way of us knowing and making assumptions the incorrect way can sometimes make the situation worse. And like you say, you need to step back and just think of, well, yes, I really don't know what this person's going through, but um, maybe there's some way I can help. Mm -hmm. And I think with um, the pandemic, we've gotten away a lot from that, you know, because we've all been now... Kind of isolated, yeah. away from other people, other than our families or very close friends that we see. Um, as a community, I think we've gotten away um, from what, how it, how you should treat people outside in the outside world, and it's it's kind of a. This book kind of brings it back to you know, you need to be very aware of what your community is, you know how you can maybe view your community and how you can bring people back in to being a community. So,
0: And that's why we're all here on this earth, really. (laughs) Yes, technically, yes. And, you
1: know, it's very true. You know, it's probably, you know, and that's the only way to say it. You know, you need to help, you know, or see people in the light in which you hopefully can help them either through bad times, good times, whatever. It just depends on what you want to do as a person
0: so yeah and we would want to be treated that way ourselves going through oh, yes, something so definitely. just giving ourselves the grace to treat others that way too
1: yep yes definitely
0: well fantastic do you have anything else you want to add about that one
1: no not about that one that one i think i'm pretty good with
0: okay so that was olive kitteridge by elizabeth strout and then what is your second book today
1: so my second book is a lot lighter read um it's called once we were brothers it's kind of uh it's by ronald h balson um it's set in chicago which is really kind of interesting the book is actually from chicago um the the author is from chicago and it's set in chicago and it's 60 years after the holocaust and it talked the story is about two brothers from poland who have survived the Holocaust and what has happened to them. So Elliot Rosenwig, I think is how we would say this, mm-hmm. um, is a respected civic leader and wealthy philanthropist and is accused by Ben Solomon of being a former Nazi SS officer named Otto Pitek. And he's known as the butcher of Zamors. So, The reason why Solomon has accused him of being this Nazi SS person is because the true Piatek was abandoned as a child and was raised by Ben Solomon's family Mm -hmm. only to betray him and his family during the Nazi occupation. But the book really kind of talks about did Ben Solomon really accuse the right man of this crime? So Ben Solomon, his charges are dropped, but he hires a lawyer, Catherine Lockhart, who wants to help him prove that Rosenwig is actually Otto Petrick. So... It really is kind of a mystery on top of discussions about the Holocaust, why the Jews did not leave Poland, why, how he got away, that kind of thing, you know. So it really was an easy read for me. It was a fascinating read. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it was hard to put down.
0: I was going to say, it was a page turner. I have recommended this book to so many people. I would say it's in my top 10 reads of yes. my life and mm-hmm. my husband loves it too, which he's not a huge reader, but he <laughs> loves this book. So it is a fantastic <laughs> read.
1: It is. And I, it kept me guessing. I assume it did with you, Kara till the oh, end yeah. mm-hmm. as to who, whether or not he was this person, you know, this dual personality and was this anti- actual Nazi sympathizer to me I didn't know it until the end and yeah. uh, that's what to me is a great book you know if they can carry you all the way through to the end and then reveal it it really did keep my interest which was really great uh-huh. yeah
0: I have a confession to make I actually have this terrible habit when I'm reading hard copy books that I will flip ahead to the end to know <laughs> what happens <laughs> And then I proceed to read the rest of the book to see how the story progresses to get to that point. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I can say I don't do that, Kira. You didn't learn that trait from me. So, that's nope. not one of my traits. <laughs> no,
0: but I uh, I don't think I actually did it with this book because I read it so fast. I think this is for me when books maybe slow down a little bit and I'm like, well, I kind of want to know what happened, so I'm just going to flip ahead to see if I really oh, right. want to, you know, slog through the book or whatever. Right. Um, I but this one it was such a fast read and so intriguing and kept me wanting to know what happened. So, I don't think this was one of the books that I have done. One of those bad
1: habits. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing because I really wanted to just get through to the end, you know, and that was, um, you know, and it was very interesting um, reading about the perspective of, you know, what each person was doing during the Holocaust. You know, to me, it's such a it's such a tragedy in in our civilization, but I think there's a lot of things that people have learned from that situation that have hopefully helped make us more kind, you know, along the end. So it's hard telling, you know. I really, it really it's really kind of scary in a way because there has been a lot of resurgence all of a sudden with anti Semitism in this country. Um, and it's hard to believe that this is. You know, it's we're almost going to come upon probably almost 60 more than 60 years of it. We're past almost 80 now mm-hmm. years since the Holocaust has occurred, but there are still people in this country and across the world that don't believe that the Holocaust ever happened, and I just think that's a travesty. <laughs> so, wow. I think people really need to continue to read books about. The experience people had, whether it be Anne Frank, her biography, or this book, which was a light read—you know, you could get through it—but understanding exactly what went on in those years um, with the Jews and the Holocaust, and so it, I think it's important that we for that we don't forget it, and that we dispel anybody that's perpetrating a lie that it never happened because it did. So,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right. So that was Once We Were Brothers by Ronald H. Balson. And then what is your last book today?
1: So the last book is The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. And this book, I wasn't real sure when I first started this book whether I was going to really like it. The reason why we did decide to read it in book club was because I also have a passion for floral and florists. And Mm -hmm. I was for a while a florist myself. Um, So I have a fascination with flowers and what their meanings are and, you know, why you give certain colors to people of, you know, floral. So this book does hit two notes. It hits one that how flowers can play a part in, you know, a significant meaning behind their names, and they they do discuss, you know, in parentheses what each flower, you know, means or whatever else as she's written this book. So the other story is is that it is about uh, Victoria Jones, who is an emancipated eighteen year old from foster care, and her journey to find happiness. The author has firsthand knowledge of this subject when she wrote this book because she was in foster care herself wow. and okay. she spent 14 years in the system after being abandoned by her parents. Wow. So this is more of a book, I think, where she wanted to write about her experiences, some of the things she may have been experiencing, maybe not herself, but other children within the foster care uh, system I do you know experience so uh, when you first encounter this Victoria, it's her first day of emancipation from foster care, and it's where she has nowhere to go, she has no resources, and no one really cares about her because after you turn 18, they send you on your way wow. um, with no net. In other words, what I would call to make your way in the world. Yeah. So in the book, it can be, it's a very, it can be very depressing at times. It can be, you can have a lot of tissues with this book. Okay, good (laughs) to note. (laughs) So you might want to prepare yourself for that. Um, It goes through what she goes through. Um, She ends up sleeping in a public park. She's tending a garden of pilfered blossoms and living by her own wits when she leaves foster care. Uh, Fortunately for her, she runs into a local florist who sees her special way with flowers because as she, um, when she was in foster care, she bought one or two books on florals. In other words, flowers and what their meanings were. So the flowers do play a real role significant meaning to her because she has this gift of helping other people through her flowers that she chooses once she becomes an assistant in this floral shop so the connection for her to the world is through their flower the flowers she gives and the meanings that she has for them for the people that she runs into it's a sad story but it's a bittersweet story for me um It travels back between her past and her present, you know, so you kind of have to get used to sometimes when you're reading it. Um, You know, you're going back sometimes in her early life, and then you're coming forward into the future. So it can get a little confusing, but I think it's a really great read once you start reading into it. But you start to see the reasons why she's making certain choices And how she's going to hopefully come upon some kind of happiness. Um, By the end of the book, I was hoping she would find happiness because it was, there was a lot of things going on in it. But I think it's really important that we understand, you know, sometimes what other children go through Mm -hmm. that may not have parents. And how, why they can get lost in the world and what really, and being an educator, I think I've seen a lot of kids um, within my own realm of teaching that are lost, you know, by either, yeah, either they don't have a good uh, family structure and they get lost. And so this book you know, was, like I said, it is a little bit depressing. It probably wouldn't be a read that I would want to read if I was in a mood, you know, to yeah. read something depressing. <laughs> um, but I think it's a really important part of just what other people are experiencing within your community. Um, she does, at the end of the book, she's involved in an organization that helps foster children. Um, okay. Because her being a... Uh, a foster parent child herself um, and she is happily married by the way you know herself okay. which is great And she has three kids of her own and her kids are very successful um, so I it does talk about some organization that she has sponsored or started up about helping kids and I can't quite remember what it was I'll have to
0: Yeah, we could look it up and put it in the show notes. So
1: Yeah, if you look up her as a as a person as an author, you could probably find what organization she has started to help foster children, you know, come through on their own, that kind of thing. So
0: So is she is it it's not a memoir, right? Like this is a fictional account of someone else. It's
1: not a memoir. I think it's more of a I think it's an introspective on other probably other people that she has known through the foster care system and, you know, in taking some of that experience and then developing a storyline, you know, to kind of fit what, you know, what she, her point is, you know, how we should understand these kids and understand, you know, that they do need help, you know, beyond once they have left the foster care system, you know, what really happens to them. So, I don't think it has really much to do with her life because what I've read from her, you know, she's married. She's extremely, I think she's out in Cambridge. Um, okay. She does, she's an, she's got a great education. So okay. um, I, I think it's more of a perspective of what can happen, you know, to sure. certain individuals if they're, you know, left to their own means, you know, after they've been in the foster care system. So I think just to make the point, you know, that these, it's not her life, but it can happen to other individuals when they don't have.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure she can draw from her, from her experiences, even if this isn't exactly, but the emotions and everything that comes with that, I'm sure she can draw from that and give us a really interesting, you know, perspective on it.
1: Yes. And this too, she tries to make um, this young girl, does end up having a baby out of wedlock. And so there is some issues with motherhood, you know, Mm -hmm. whether or not she should give up the baby because of the dire set she's in. So, like I said, this, it's a pretty deep book. You know, it touches on a lot of subject areas that are pretty deep, you know, within the book. And like i said i wouldn't read it if you're depressed or okay
0: <laughs> you're make sure you're in the right headspace for you this gotta one you got to be in the right <laughs> headspace for this one
1: yes i agree with that entirely you know and it wasn't it took me it took me quite a while to get through it because it was so emotionally draining at times you know i couldn't read it you know full force you know i had to put it away for a while and then get back to it you know so that i could get myself in my own state of mind back, you know, because it is that way. So it's a good read, you know, but, you know, you hope, you know, I think it's just opens your eyes to another avenue of what really goes on in our society, you know, with the foster care system, so.
0: Well, I really like that. And I, I also like that I would learn along the way because I don't know much about flowers myself. It intrigues me that they have all these meanings and different uses. Yes. Um, so I would like that I would l- be learning about that as well as reading this story. It's got
1: a, Yeah, it's got a double meaning to it, which was more of my, um, you know, the reason why I really wanted to read it was because of that, you know, because I am interested. So, you know, part of my Uh, retired life was, you know, doing florals and, you know, for people and, you know, that kind of thing. So it really did pique my interest, you know, as a whole to read, you know, what they actually all meant, (laughs) that kind of thing.
0: That's great. All right. So that was The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbaum or Diffenbaugh, excuse me. Yeah, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) Okay, so what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to give you a little dessert pairing for a book. So to give you back a little something for coming on the show and giving me your time. Um, And I've been kind of thinking as you've been talking, I think that all of these books that you've talked about give us a real life perspective into looking at, it might be walks of life that you know very well, or different walks of life that you don't Uh know very well. But I think that's how they all kind of tie together. You can Tell me if I'm kind of missing the point there. You're right
1: on points. No, that's perfect. very
0: true. Um, so one of the books that came to mind as you were talking, because we were talking about getting back to that sense of community mm-hmm. that I thought of. I just finished it, and it is it was so good. It's called The Day the World Came to Town by Jim Defeat. Oh. Have you read it? No. Okay, good. So what this is, this book is actually set on 9-11, and... This book is set in Gander, Newfoundland. And I'm probably mispronouncing that, Newfoundland, because they went through the audiobook like, this is how you actually pronounce it. Um, But what happened on 9-11 is, as we all know, the US airspace was eventually shut down after the attacks on the World Trade Center. And there was all these flights that were already in progress when US airspace shut down. And most of the flights that this book focuses on are flights that were coming from Europe because you reach a certain point at the Atlantic Ocean where if you are going to the United States or Canada like you have to keep going after you cross this certain threshold and you can't divert back to Europe so a lot of these flights I I can't remember the exact number but it was a large number of flights I think like 400 flights had to continue on to the United States Canada the North American continent okay they had to continue on But they couldn't get into the U.S., which was where, you know, majority of the flights were going. So they were trying. it, It starts out in the beginning with from the air traffic controller's perspective of like how they were able to divert all these flights and find places for all these flights to go. And just the logistics of all that goes into play of all these flights being in the air and circling them, making sure they all landed safely. The second part of the book, then they go into Gander, Newfoundland, which is a small island off of Nova Scotia, and all of the flights that landed in this small town. Now, it used to be a U.S. military base. It is not anymore. So now it really was just an island. And obviously, being an island, you don't have endless resources and shopping available to you. (sighs) So hundreds, thousands, thousands of people land in Gander, Newfoundland and this community that had to take them in and figure out what to do with these people for, you know, I'm thinking it was two to five days what they were going to do with these people. And they were, school buses were picking people up from the airport. People were getting stuck on the planes on the runway for hours because, right, they're trying to do all the security measures to screen the airplanes, make sure there was no other terrorist activity on these airplanes. And so then the people of the community take in these people. They're sleeping in churches, they're sleeping in schools. They're, The people of the community are literally bringing sheets and towels from their homes and giving them to these people they're taking these people into their homes to have showers because they just didn't have the facilities nor the preparation you know the preparation of time to prepare for thousands of people to land in your community and it what it will just restore your faith in humanity (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that sense of community where they all came together to do what they needed to do and just to make these this terrible situation something great for these people. And it, it highlights um, a few different people as they're in Gander, Newfoundland. So you'll kind of follow okay. people's stories. Um, but it was such a good read. I'm almost like tearing, <laughs> tearing up talking about it because it just, it was so, it was so good.
1: It sounds like it. Oh my gosh. Because that's, you know, because... I don't know where you were on 9-11, but I can actually remember mm-hmm. where I was. And most people, our generation and your generation, can remember that because uh, it's it was such a traumatic, you know, situation mm-hmm. everybody was in. I mean, it wasn't just one part of the country. It was across the country, like you say, with the air flights, you know, people trying to get where they were supposed to go and people didn't know, you know, certain things, you know, what was really going to happen next. But what a great story about an island in particular trying to house these people. I can't imagine how that would even work. Like you say, all those planes, you know, getting diverted and landing, it had to be, an astronomical amount of food, shelter, what they were going to do with all these people. And like you say, it was a security risk because nobody really knew who was doing what Mm -hmm. um, initially in those first several days, you know, whether or not they were terrorists or not on the airplanes. So, wow. Oh, well, that'll be a good read for me then. That's, That's one that I will definitely read because I really... I'm interested in how people step up to the plate what I call you know when times get tough sometimes people will just do what they have to do to help and that's really important I think you know as a community as a as a country and whatever else we have to do those things you know that's just part of what we should be doing you know to help one another so
0: great and it's not a sad story when I say I'm like I tear up as I'm talking about it it's not that it's sad it's just that the amazing the amazing amount of effort that these people put into making these people feel safe right protected cared for like in the situation where you're probably you were so scared frightened utterly stranded you know and you can't get back to your home and maybe you've been no. traveling for days and you can't get home and you're around you're not around your loved ones you can't get a hold of anybody um And they really stepped up to the plate. And I I love stories like that. And I've said this before on the show where it makes me think like, would I do the same if I was faced with that situation? And I really like stories that make me think like that (laughs) because I I think I learned from that to open up, to be like, yeah, I can do that. And I, I want to do that. So if I am faced with a situation, maybe in a similar vein down the road, then I know that that's how I want to respond.
1: Well, I think it's really important that people see that, you know, I mean, people talk about it a lot, but I think for yourself, like you say, Kara, you know, you want to, you want to say to yourself, okay, if that did happen to me or I could help, I'm going to, you know, this can be done. You know, I mean, I can, you know, I can step up and do this Um, because I think that's what really makes... Ordinary people, extraordinary to me, you know, if you're an ordinary person and you've never had to deal with this situation, but when the chips get down, you step up and you take care of, you know, what you need to take care of. I think that's really an important trait to have within your personality, you know, to help someone else.
0: Yeah. And I think to add to the theme of this book flight and this pairing is that we can only change the way we react to something yes. right, and the way that we show up in a situation. Um, but again, I think learning about the other cultures, other people, um, of the world that that's only going to help us be able to ch- to show up better when yeah. needed.
1: I think so too. I think that's really, you know, very true. I think you know, bad situations, you know, can bring the best out of ordinary people, and I think that's really important, you know, to know about us as a country, know to us about people as individuals, you know, we would step in, you know, to help. And, you know, nobody knows what the future's gonna hold, and um, hopefully we will be able to, you know, step up and be counted when it's important. So that, to me, is a big thing with community, so. I agree. But this has been absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for having me. I can't even tell you how much it is fun for me to discuss books with you.
0: (laughs) I know this is so good. So, well, if you have maybe two more minutes, I actually have a couple other bonus pairings, I'm calling them, but it's a speed round of questions that I would love to do. Um, But let's really quick, let's recap our books. And don't worry, listeners, they'll all be in the show notes on the website. So you can find that you don't need to write these down. But the first book was Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. The second book was Once We Were Brothers by Ronald H. Balson. And the last book of the pairing was The Language of Flowers by Vanessa Diffenbaugh. And then let's go ahead. We'll do our speed round of questions here. So what is your favorite place to read?
1: Uh, I have a – I actually like – sometimes I like the porch – when I have, you know, my porch out back, you know, mm-hmm. when the when the weather's capable, I read outside on my back porch. Uh, when I'm inside, I love my upstairs loft. I have an upstairs loft that I have that's kind of my my room compared to my husband's den downstairs. <laughs> so I love reading up there. Um, those are the two spots that I really like favorite and places.
0: personally knowing them, they're beautiful places. So I can see why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right and then what is one book you have read that has changed your life
1: oh boy oh that's a hard one (laughs) 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 it really is uh i would probably golly i don't know if it really has changed my life i guess it's changed my it's a lot of the books that we just discussed have changed how i think about you know Mm -hmm. certain people or you know how to react to certain situations, you know, it it's helped me probably become a better person, you know, when I, you know, when I run into different relationships and things like that. So I guess it's, there's not really one book that was really made a, a big impact. I think it's just everything I kind of read. I pick up something from each book that maybe will help me, you know, become a better person.
0: I love Dr. that. All right. And then I think you read mostly hard copy books. Do you do any yes. audio books? No, I okay. have
1: not gotten into that. During our book club, I was probably one of the last people that got a Kindle. Okay, <laughs> you know, majority of the people had Kindles way before I did, because I just like the feel of a hard copy in my hands. You know, it just to me makes the book more Alive, I guess that's part. I, you can say a book is alive. It's a, you know, it's a, an object, but it just brings it home to me more when I can read the actual words in a hard copy book instead of an audio. So perfect.
0: And then, what are you reading next?
1: Well, I'm going to probably read the book that you just suggested because I haven't yeah. read it yet. So <laughs> that
0: one, I'm probably going to
1: read. The last one I think I just read was something along. Um, the waves, um, in World War Two. It was a book, oh. it was a small it was a small little paperback I picked up. Um, and it was just about four women, you know, and they actually were flight nurses where they would go into enemy territory in Germany and pick up wounded soldiers and then fly them back on B twenty nines. So they were actually like an emergency room uh, nurses with um, you know doing picking up um, soldiers that were on the battlefield so it was wow. a very good read it was you know it kind of gave me a perspective of one part of the service that I never knew actually was active mm-hmm. in um, World War Two with Navy nurses and it was it was a really good book I enjoyed it. What was the title on that one what was it called? That one is called The Flying Angels and it was written by Danielle Steele. Okay. So it's a pretty easy read um but it has to do with um four or actually six young flight nurses but it goes through their she does stories on them Okay, and um, what their job is uh, over in England and things like that. So it was a pretty easy read. Um, it's not that long of a book. I And it's obviously the paperback I picked up, um, this is actually, it is in paperback. It used to be like in hard copy, but now it's in paperback. So this, I just picked this up probably about
0: two weeks ago. Okay. So, well, thank you yeah. for sharing. It sounds yeah. very interesting. Yeah so well and then thank you so much for coming on to chat books with me today i know your time is precious so i really appreciate the time that you've given me
1: great no problem
0: Thank you so much for listening to Laura Osborne and I today in our discussion on her book flight, Improving Empathy Through Fiction. We'd love to hear what other books you might pair with your Improving Empathy book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information on today's flight and any other books that we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are picking up next, especially if you have heard about the book on the show, please tag us. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. This is a brand new show. So if you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. Your review not only helps me, but it also helps the show reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure that you will not miss an episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.